Hi, I'm Kelly. And I'm Annie. And, and this, this is Charitable Theology. What's going on in your life? You have a new job. Yes, I started a new job. It is, not to sound cheesy, but it's literally everything I've been wanting and hoping for and most of all praying for in a job. The culture is great. The owner is a Christian and he gives all the credit of the growth to God and um, really says like once he handed his business over to God is when everything really started thriving and changing and so I have we mentioned that we live in Arizona? I think so in the last episode. Yeah. Just so everybody knows we live in a Phoenix suburb and so we're we're out here in the desert. We're not sweating right now but yes. we will be. Give it we, two months. Yes we definitely will be but I mentioned Arizona because I work with um, the youth on the reservations here in Arizona. That's the Native American reservation? Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm a mentor, which is like, I don't know, maybe a step below a therapist. I'm not sure. But I just, a lot of these kids are growing up in this culture where, you know, their parents are drinking or on drugs, and they're not really getting their needs met. And there's often a lot of abuse and trauma. And just coming from that, I've always wanted to be the person I needed when I was their age. And so getting to be in a work environment that allows me to do that and hone in on my skills, you know, from school and stuff has just been so, such a godsend. So, yeah, my new job. I'm loving it. I'm so glad. Yes. I was, yeah, unemployed for a little bit. And so, well, yeah. And she had plenty of employment, but the jobs were either stressful or a negative culture or, man, when you have a couple jobs in a row that feel like they're just dead, sometimes it can feel like it's you that's the dead, and it was not you, and it was the dead. And so I've been praying that she would get a job where she would know that she that she was valuable in a in a place and that she was adding to the place and not feeling like she was a burden or subtracting or taking away from so it's been really cool to see get a job where she is enjoying herself friend thank yeah. you you're welcome bro what's new with you oh boy i don't know bible study starts tomorrow <laughs> yes kelly leads an awesome bible study i'm very excited about it because my whole passion in life is i mean like literally maybe even my only hobby in life is my goal is to empower them to read the Bible for themselves. And uh, women get a lot of empowerment by starting out in community. And then hopefully I'm sending them into their homes where they're able to read it. And then the community is the motivation to maybe hold them accountable or to give them the courage to ask questions. And so I have this really wonderful group that, that just come faithfully and eat some good food that they bring. I am not the administrative one, so I do not organize who brings the food because all I am good at is reading the Bible and everything else everyone has to deal with. That's what it's like to be in a Bible study where I'm leading. I'm just like, if you care about anything other than the Bible, you're going to have to take care of that. All of the food, any any of the, the church takes care of child care for us, praise Jesus. Um, but, but I can't be in charge of any of that stuff because I'll distract them all. So my women do their own food signups and they bring it and it's always great food and then we just sit down and we commit to not read the bible with 
no book or commentary or outside help other than where I use Jen Wilkins rule where we are able to use an English dictionary so we don't go to the original Greek or the original Hebrew because I don't and I don't think any of my women speak ancient Greek or ancient Hebrew fluently and then we use cross-references but that's scary for women that's something that not a lot of women are used to a lot of women are and I love book studies like I, I just mentioned Jen Wilkins like I love Jen Wilkins book studies I love Jackie Hill Perry's study on Jude. I love, I mean, Priscilla Shire, Charlie Newbell. These women have wonderful studies and they're helpful and they're a blessing. I just think this is a different thing. They're, they're both beneficial, but this is a different thing where you sit down and you open the Bible and you trust that God has equipped you and your brain and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you to give you the wisdom to hear from God yourself, hear from the word of God yourself. And I think that is an invaluable resource that we've been provided with. And just so many women are scared or feel are inequipped or listen to the lies in their head about, about whatever. And it keeps them from doing it. And so I've been really loving having this community of women who just committed to coming and sitting down and doing it and, and reading the Bible with me. And then I go off on crazy tangents about nerdy little facts that I found and they put up with me. <laughs> and it's great. Everything I've ever wanted in a Bible study. So yeah, today we have two things that we want to talk about. The first of which is singleness and how maybe the church idol idolizes. Yeah. <clears throat> wow. I was going to say idolatrizes. Because it's late at night and my brain doesn't work. We do this podcast after my children go to sleep because three kids and a podcast don't me. So, so Annie is gracious enough to come over at nighttime. Because also, as we mentioned in the last episode, my kids think that she's their friend. And so if she comes when they're awake, they will never go to sleep. <laughs> and so... We do this after my kids go to bed, and then I say things like idolatrizes. So let's do that again. This first topic is about how maybe the church idolizes marriage. I'm coming from this from the perspective of a woman who's been mostly married my church-going life. I started going to church maybe two years before I got married, and then we went to church for the first year we were married, and then we moved to Arizona and stopped going to church because I made bad decisions. <laughs> I didn't want to, I didn't want to get, I knew we needed church, but I didn't want to get into a church without my husband. Cause I felt like he would not, if I had deep roots in a place, he wouldn't feel welcome to come. And that's not a good reason to not go to church, but it was my reason when I was young mm -hmm. and, and dumb and um, praise God, he redeemed that bad decision, but it made those two years of my life really awful. But anyways, I, so most of my church going life, I've been a married woman. And I think the two years that I was not a married woman, I probably did idolize becoming a married woman and going to church with my husband, right? That's why I wound up not going to church for two years. I made that mistake of, well, no, when I'm married, I'm going to be married to a man that goes to church with me and whatever. And uh, Annie's coming from this as, as, as someone who's not ever been married yet yes i'm very single 
Very single, not just kind of single then. More single than a stray cat. Um, as a single woman in the church, as a woman who's been mostly single, your church going life, would you say that? Mm, yeah. I mean, not just like tax status single, but like even single from a relationship, your church going life, do you think? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I've had, I've had, uh, I've been in lots of relationships, just not long lasting a little bit of my background I just I have trust issues and I would say for a while I had commitment issues but it just sort of being the thing like it was I just was always able to pretty quickly realize that they were not the person I felt that I was supposed to you know do life with and you know if I felt like God was saying like hey this is not this is not who I have for you I just I felt like I was being mature in and ending it yeah and so in your experience what is it like being single in the church in the american church yeah i think it's i think it's really difficult in the church right now to be single because i i do think it is something that is idolized and i don't think people and I could just feel this way because I'm single and I'm not married, but I, I a lot of times feel that people aren't looking to single people in the, the value and perspective they, they can offer. You know, I don't believe in soulmates. I don't believe that you are going to find someone and they're going to complete you. People don't complete people like Jesus is the only thing that is going to fill you up and make you whole and yeah the man that completed me died 2000 years ago yes a good one yes yeah i just feel like a lot of times or we'll segregate into like oh couples bible studies and you know not include Mm. singles into them we've straight up one time do you remember this in a church service had a pastor not our lead pastor but a pastor that we love straight up say raise your hand if you're single and had everyone in the service who was single raise their hand, which was maybe eight people who were courageous enough to raise their hand. Yeah, I did not raise my hand. Oh my gosh, it was, I was not single and I was cringing out of discomfort. <laughs> Why did that happen? Oh, I don't even remember the sermon. Isn't that bad? I can't remember the point of the sermon, but I can remember that he made single people raise their hands. Yeah. <laughs> and I think sometimes people have been married so long that they forget what it was like to be a single person. <laughs> Yeah, true, 100%. But I think that, man, as a married person, I feel like I was sold a bill of goods by what the American church, maybe not, and definitely not all churches, but what is popular in American church culture to be like this idea that kind of the, the ideal of the Christian life is to be married right like this idea that that you become the ultimate christian where you're um you know your most fulfilled self when you found this other person and that is antithetical to the gospel to its core when you're looking to another human being to meet your needs you're you're just counting on being disappointed human beings don't meet your needs yeah and yes i just i i really think that you know marriage is sort of idolized as this you know end all be all and you know, I had girlfriends growing up. It's just like their main goal in life was to get married and, you know, have a husband. And I think that's great. I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to be married. It is 
from what I can see from the outside and just all the beautiful marriages I've witnessed is it is a great thing. It's, you know, a beautiful thing to want to be married, but I don't think it should be our main goal in life. Like our main goal is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And Ooh, she just bought out some Westminster shorter for y'all, my little presby. <laughs> I'm so not Presbyterian anymore, but but she was catechized. Yes, I very much for so. For some candy in here. Yes, for some candy. Yeah, in, in the church I grew up in, we would line up and say our catechism. And I mean, I, I honestly just did it for the candy. But, but yeah. If y'all so. know what catechism is, it's when it's not a, it's not just a Catholic thing. In in the Protestant tradition, catechism is a series of questions and answers, and that's the shorter one. Um. But it's a question, the, typically the adult will say the question and the child will have a memorized answer and they're given. And so um, Annie came from a tradition where they catechized their kids. And so she's got a little Westminster shorter in there. Yeah, I can't believe I just brought that out. I love it. It really just came that, out of me. By the way, that's why you catechize your kids, folks, because when they're 27, they know what the chief end of man is. Yes, absolutely. I I should probably thank my mom for that. Mom, if you're listening, that was for you. I catechized my kids, just in case anybody was <laughs> I was not catechized as a child. No, not at all. But I can recognize a little chief and a man. Yeah. Okay, anyway, so, right. The ultimate goal in life is not to get married. The ultimate goal in life is to glorify God. If you can glorify God in your marriage, wonderful. But you can glorify God as a full member of the body of Christ outside of marriage. And so I don't know. I don't know. I don't have good ideas for what the church can do better other than teaching better on this because I, I rely heavily on teaching because I think that I probably have a little bit of a heart of a teacher. What do you think culturally the church can do? Better? As far as not making it seem like marriage is the end all be all. Yeah. And I don't mean our church specifically, but like the big oh, yeah, church. Just, yeah, definitely the capital C church. I think... I think the biggest thing is making it more of a goal to minister to to singles and to invite them into your homes, mm. share, just share your life with them. I mean, they, and they have, we have, I feel like we have something to offer too. I mean, yeah. it's not, you know, married people aren't the only example. I, Jesus was single too, right? Can I say that? Yes, Is that too amen. cheesy? Okay, okay, good. I and mean, Paul. yes, and Paul. And they're like the greatest people to ever walk. I mean, right? if you can be the son of God and then be the guy who wrote 80% of the New Testament, I feel like it's okay to be single. Yeah, 100%. I feel like if we're saying that marriage is the, or not, maybe not, maybe no one's explicitly saying that, but if we're implying that marriage is the be all end all, then I think maybe we have, um, I think maybe we're implying then that Paul was not a full-fledged member of the body of Christ, that Christ himself was not a good enough head of the church because, I mean, I guess Christ mm -hmm. is married to the bride theologically, and yes. there is, right? I am not, as a married person who loves being married, I am not by any means saying that it, it is not good to get married. I love being married. I think my marriage is a really beautiful picture of, Christ in the church imperfectly, but I think that it, it does really, I think God has really worked that out in the mystery of marriage, but man, like singles do have something to offer and, and, you know, it is good to be single. You have way more freedom than I do, um, way more t 
time to give and you have less people to consider when you're making, you know, God honoring plans. And there is freedom in your singleness that I don't have in my marriage. And I'm not feeling like marriage is bondage by any means. It's just that I have a different way of serving. My first ministry has to be at home. And if I have any ministries that are compromising my first ministry, those have to be minimized so that, so that, um, my kids are being raised in a home that is honoring and glorifying to God first and foremost, more than I'm ministering to people outside of my home. And that's at this point in your life, not a consideration that you have to make. But I think you're so right that such a big part of this, right? Intimacy. I mean, there is beauty in marital intimacy, but um, there's a different kind of intimacy. Friendship intimacy is a beautiful thing. And if we want the single people in our church to be honoring God in all aspects of our lives, then we should be offering them a life full of the intimacy of full-fledged Christian friendship where you can come into my home and you can open my cabinets and you can get yourself water and you can, you know, do all of those things and you can expect that you're welcome no matter what state you're in, no matter what state my home in, which is regularly not a good state. Um, and and that we should be willing to call singles our family because I think when singles are tempted to um, not honor God with their lives is when the community is probably failing them. Yeah, I agree. And I, I certainly don't mean to make it sound like there you know, can't be that I don't have my moments of idleness in my singleness. It can be really easy to be single. You have a lot of freedoms and I get to be independent and I get to choose what I want to do whenever I want to do it. And I certainly don't mean to make it sound like I idolize my singleness. I would love to be married someday. I had a time in my life where I thought I wanted to I thought I would be married when I was 18 and start popping out babies and because I wanted 12 of them. I'm not like I wanted 12 kids at one point. Uh, I'm not sure. I still want a big family. You know, I came from churches where they were having lots of babies. And I mean, I literally came from a church where like we, my parents had six kids and that was a small family. And I just, I loved how all of, my friends in the church, you know, had these big families and they always had someone to hang out with. And I mean, I did too. I had five siblings to choose from. So I just very much thought that that was going to be me. And so I I just want to make it clear, like, I love the idea of marriage and it's something I've I've wanted. And I I do, a, a huge part of me still wants that. But I think that, you know, not to sound cliche, but I do think singleness is a gift and I've really been thankful for how God has used, you know, my singleness to not just grow me, but hopefully like further the kingdom as I've had like more freedom with my singleness. So yeah. And singleness, singleness doesn't have to be permanent to be a gift. Yeah. It can be, but it can be a season and still be a gift. And I think that, yeah, your singleness doesn't have to be permanent for it to have been a gift, but um, in that singleness, A, the church should be able to minister to you well, and you have this gift of being able to minister to people well. Like, it's it's a symbiotic thing, and praise God, you haven't waited until you're married to be your full self, to be your full Christian, to be able to serve the body of Christ. 
And I think that mm-hmm. some people, some maybe some women, maybe that's more of a thing that women do, wait until they have, they try and wait until they have their ideal life before they start serving or they start um, being willing to utilize their gifts in the body. And we like, praise God, you're not doing that because the body would be missing out on a really huge asset just because what you don't have, you're not married. You don't have a husband. Like I don't need you to have a husband for you to be valuable to the body of Christ. You know, you're about, you're valuable to my family. You're valuable to me. You've been a blessing to my husband. Your friendship has been a blessing to our whole family. And you are like just my kids goals in life. Like, Mm what would we do without you? Praise God that you didn't have a husband when I met you so that I could get to know you so well. If you had a husband, I'd have to like compromise all this time with you. (laughs) You're so sweet. Thank you. So another thing I wanted to touch on was I think that people just sort of, you know, they have this idea in their mind that, you know, they're going to get married and they're going to have someone to, you know, sort of, like we said earlier, complete them. Or, you know, they're not going to feel so lonely all the time. People are so scared of, you know, feeling alone. And so I think sometimes they maybe think that being married is going to sort of fill that gap for them. And the truth is, it's not. Even in marriage, you have moments of feeling lonely because that other person doesn't complete you. They can't. You can't look to your spouse to being your God like you love God first and then you love your spouse and Mm -hmm. and when you love God first you're able to come together and complement each other and be an example of the gospel and it's beautiful and it's wonderful at least from what I've seen but that's the thing is that I think that oftentimes people feel like oh well you're not married, so you can't give people advice, or you don't have kids, so you can't give people advice, or anything else, right? I'm not a CEO, so I can't give somebody advice. But the truth is, is that there's objective truth, and that I can abide, uh, I can apply biblical principles to anything, and be able to have a have a beneficial wisdom to offer somebody, and and so can you, and you don't have to be married for that. So like, Annie just spoke truth, and she's not married. But she has that truth because A, she has the Holy Spirit living inside of her. And B, she's read her damn Bible. I just said damn. I don't know if that's allowed. But but stay tuned for an episode on Christianity and Christmas. But that we have this idea. And I don't know if this is culture seeping in or what it is. But if you haven't lived it, you can't speak into my life. And that is just objectively false. Yes, absolutely. Experience helps with wisdom because I am going to listen to a 60 year old who has suffered well and served the kingdom well over a 19 year old who has not (laughs) but that doesn't mean that 19 year old doesn't have perspective to offer that's valuable the Holy Spirit does beautiful things in all types of people and if you're shutting people out just because they haven't experienced everything you've experienced means that you're missing out on a whole a whole a, an opportunity for fellowship to be beneficial to you other people's perspectives people who've experienced different life things than you have are what make the body of Christ so beautiful because your your unique experiences give you a perspective on God that maybe I'm not able to grasp without your help 
And so I think that it is so beautiful that you can say you're, you know, if, if you don't have God in the middle of your marriage, then you're going to be just as lonely as a single person who isn't leaning enough on God, right? And and you can say that, and you can know it's true even if you've not experienced it. And I know it's true because I have experienced it because the times that my husband and I are hyper-focused on our own needs have left us wanting and struggling and sad and frustrated. And when we can zoom out on the bigger picture or when we can die to ourselves and our own needs to serve the other, the way that Christ died to himself to serve his body, to serve his bride, I mean, that's when our marriage gets the most beautiful. And you can know that because there's objective proof, because the creator ordered it that way. And so when we say things to people like, well, you don't know because you haven't lived it, in one aspect, that can be true, but on the uh, on the flip side, if you believe that there are objective truths, then you should be willing to hear things from people who haven't lived your exact same life, and maybe that's a tangent <laughs> if we're talking about singleness in the church, but maybe that has everything to do with it. Yes and amen, sister. Yes and amen. And then our other topic that we wanted to talk a little bit about, we just titled it the Imago Dei and self-help. And so if you don't know what the Imago Dei is, we believe that God made us, he created us in his own image. And that means that Adam and Eve perfectly reflected that image without sin, that they were able to, the way that he made them, they were able to honor and glorify him by reflecting his image, right? And they were doing these things in their marriage. They were doing these things um, by practicing their dominion over the earth, by subduing the earth, right? And, And them being fruitful and multiply. Like these are things that God put in them to reflect him. And then sin broke that. So now we're in Genesis 3, if you're following along. And, and sin broke that. But we are still made in God's image. We are just reflecting it broken. And so mm. think of, right when you think of reflection, you think of a mirror. And we are now broken mirrors. And so when you look into a broken mirror, right, you're seeing your nose in one part. And then you're seeing you everything is kind of disjointed. You're not seeing a true reflection of of what you're supposed to be reflecting what you sh- what the mirror should be showing you you're seeing these broken images and what what happens after we find Christ or after Christ finds us after holy spirit comes in and dwells us is that we're being sanctified you'll hear me say this a lot because it's one of my favorite words sanctified just means to be made more holy we believe as christians mm-hmm. as protestants in progressive sanctification this means that over the course of our lifetimes from the moment the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us, he is making us more and more and more look like Jesus. And so think of it like we're this broken mirror, right? Because of the fall of Adam, because of our inherited sin, which we find in Romans 5, that um, we're this broken mirror. And then the Holy Spirit comes and he starts kind of slowly filling in those cracks to perfectly, to more perfectly reflect Jesus, right? And this is a lifetime process and and it's not always perfect and it's not always pretty and it feels slow and sometimes so slow that you can't even see it happening. But that we really believe that the the more you know and follow Christ, the longer you're you're doing that, the, the better you reflect the image that is in you. So and you'll hear Annie and I call ourselves all the time image bearers, right? This is my Instagram tag. <laughs> This is, I mean, this is the centerpiece 
of the Christian life is to just try to more and not try in our own will, but try through the power of the Holy Spirit to more and more beautifully reflect the image of who Christ is in us. And and so this is the idea, right? When we talk about how does the Imago Dei impact our self-help culture? Mm-hmm. How does knowing the doctrine of the image of God impact how we see memes of like if they're not good for you if they're not bringing you things in your relationship that you're looking for if they aren't if they are adding to your life then cut that negativity out i don't have time for it or what else annie what are other memes you see (laughs) cringe happiness is an inside job found within You only fail if you quit or do not try. Is that the tea? <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, here's one. It's not selfish to do what is best for you, right? So we are living in this culture that is just about, you know, bettering yourself. And there's all these self-help books, you know, even in the Christian culture. And we really wanted to talk about this because uh, for me, the Imago Dei has just been so beautiful because like I mentioned before, you know, I, I come from a pretty broken home and becoming a Christian, this idea of the Imago Dei was so beautiful for me because I was basing my image and uh, the way I lived my life off of, you know, these things that I was learning in culture and trying to have an image that the that you know the world wanted me to have and so when I discovered the Imago Dei and what that means and learning that I am an image bearer and I was created in the image of God that was just very healing for me to learn that yes I am broken but I am made in the image of God and I get to reflect that through my art and all these things that are beautiful about us, you know, aren't because we're reading these self-help books or posting these quotes on our wall. Like we are becoming more beautiful and being perfected in Christ because, you know, we are image bearers and that, you know, the spirit, like you said, has come to live inside of us and is slowly perfecting us. We're becoming sanctified. And I think that I've not done anything for myself other than make my problems worse. Like, I've not ever once, by loving myself more, made my relationships better. I've not ever once, by loving myself more, made my communication better. I've never once, by loving myself more, made any of my problems better. I think that the more I look at myself, the harder everything around me gets because I just have this heart that wants to magnify me or me and I want people to respect me. I want people to think I'm smart. I want people to think that I'm funny. I want people to, you know, not notice that I've put on a couple pounds. I want people to all of these things that that if I look at it through a gospel lens, mm. I can stop. I mean the answer is not within me. Like if I if the answer is Make yourself more motivated. Make yourself more energetic. Cut out all the toxic people. If that's the answer, man, I don't know how. I've it's not, I've never seen it work. You know, I know that my life gets better when I'm willing to give people grace, mm-hmm. and my life gets better when I'm willing 
and I'm willing to die to myself to do what's best for the whole or do what's best for somebody else or do what's best for my community and I'm willing to you know lay down my preferences in order to um, help somebody with their needs that's when my life gets better my life doesn't mm-hmm. get better when I sit here thinking about how much how I need to be better and how I need to do this and how I need to do that um, because I can just be crushed under that weight and I mean, the more pressure I put on myself, the more crushing it gets, the more I want to be more perfect, more beautiful, more whatever, energetic, more smart, more whenever I want to be more this, more that. If I'm just doing that within my own strength, that's exhausting. And I I have exhausted myself by doing that. It's um, it's when I can zoom out and see the bigger picture of of the whole of, okay, how can I serve the body of Christ today? How can I serve the community outside of the church? How can I serve um, the people I'm discipling? How can I serve the people that I'm in close relationship with? How can I, how can I um, best reflect the image of God within me? That is, and that's the thing is that if, if my goal in life is to make his name great, then my problems get way smaller. If I have a 10,000 year perspective instead of a 10 year perspective, Uh, my problems even if they're real problems are like paul said they're light and momentary if Mm. you if you can zoom out for long enough they're light momentary they don't feel that way at the time things can feel really heavy and difficult but when you reorient yourself to a gospel lens when you pray that the holy spirit would open your eyes and calm your heart when you're able to open your hands and surrender, man, that's when, that's when life gets easier and more beautiful and that it doesn't eliminate suffering, but it makes the suffering, it make it makes, it gives you the ability to, to suffer and still glorify God, to be able to put your hands up and worship a good God because my doubt or my drought don't change the God of it. Whether, even if I'm feeling like, you you know what I mean by drought, like that idea of like, I'm feeling like I'm in a desert place or I feel like I'm far away from his presence. If his presence is like a well, a spring, if I'm feeling far away from that, that would be a drought in my spiritual life, right? Or my doubt that God will show up for me or my doubt that, right? I have these very, what feel like real tangible doubts sometimes that. Man, if I do this the way that God's asking me to do it, what if he doesn't show up? I'm screwing my life up, right? Mm. But those things, those things in my head, the doubt and the drought, the, the they don't change who God is ever. God is always worthy mm-hmm. of worship. God is always worthy. He's always good. He's always faithful. I'm the one who is, he's not distant from me. I'm distant from him. He's not pulled away. I, I am just not in his, I am not doing the things and that doesn't sound right it's not that if, if i don't feel god's presence that's not god punishing me for not mm. doing every right thing right sometimes right. sometimes there's reasons that i don't understand i like it how do you how do you think as christians we can get into a better practice of like valuing this concept of the imago dei mm. and how do we live it out how do we practice living out being image bearers what are what are your thoughts on that and also 
what are your thoughts on, you know, these Christian self-help books? How do we tackle that? You know, and, and not that they, not that those books don't have something, some good to offer us, but I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on all of those things. So your first question was how to best put into practice the doctrine of the Mother Day, like how to value it the most. I think it's easiest when you start by recognizing it in other people. Mm, that's um, good. What I, the, I think it's flipping upside down, right? All of all of what Jesus did was turn everything in the world upside down. It's his upside down kingdom is the theological term that they use for it. So, right, this is the idea that the servant becomes master, the the humble will be elevated. The these this i this idea that self help is what fixes it is the broken idea. First, mm. recognize the amount of being other people. When you are driving and you're cussing at the idiot on the road who is wasting your darn time, if you can take a deep breath and think, that's an image bearer of a holy God, and mm. whether or not he knows it, he deserves respect and dignity. I don't know why it's a man that cut you off, but it is, right? And, and so when you're recognizing it in those small moments, mm. that practice makes it easier to recognize in big moments when you've been really deeply wounded in a severe way if you've already put it into practice with these small inconveniences of being respectful towards the image of god and other people then when you're really wounded by another image bearer's sin you can give them the dignity that they're owed because you have already put that into practice you've already practiced saying everyone is an image bearer of a holy god and it doesn't matter if they know it i know it and i will treat them as such and then what you see is that if I can recognize this in everyone else, then I'll, I can start to internalize it for myself. If I can recognize this in the man on the road or the person who's wounded me or the, if I can recognize it in the difficult situations, then I can start to internalize it for myself and I can, and then I can start to conduct my, myself and my thoughts in those ways. Just like with anything else, it doesn't start from within, I don't think. It doesn't start from you manifest manifesting this magical will to be able to do all the things right it's it starts from being willing to see those things in other people and allow the spirit to work does that make sense i don't know if that is yeah i think that was a great answer and then your other question is what do we do with christian self-help yes mm-hmm. here's what i know if you don't have a good foundation of what the bible says you don't have any business reading anything else. Mm. And maybe that's radical. Radical Christianity. Mm-hmm. Oh, little David Flat. Um, <laughs> maybe that's too. I'm, no, I don't think it's too severe. I'm not going to back down from that statement. But maybe it. And maybe it is severe. Maybe it doesn't sound good to somebody listening. But I think that that's the truth. If you don't have a, I, if you don't have a good idea of what God has said to you. Why do you care what other people are saying? Let's let's figure out what God has said first. But. I believe that God has gifted people with the ability to teach uniquely and differently and that, that, and that these teachers are a good gift from God, provided that they're appropriately reflecting what he's already said, provided that they're clarifying what he has said. But if you don't have the ability, because you haven't gotten that foundation, to discern, okay, is this a gospel truth or is this culture with some jesus terms around it if you haven't figured Mm. out how how to discern that for yourself yet then i think that you need to go to the source before you go to anybody else i think that if 
I think that if you don't know for yourself what God has said to me, then listening to what other people say can get really confusing because humans have fallen and even if they are even if they mean well even right so i think there's a difference between false teachers and wrong teachers right like there's a difference between the wolf and sheep clothing and then someone who's just mistaken um i'm mistaken a lot i'm certain of it i know like i feel like i already need to apologize to my 38 year self year old self who's going to come back and listen to these podcasts and be like what is she saying like you grow and you learn and sometimes you were wrong right but i think that i think that even the ones with really great intentions with the heart of trying to really help people in the name of Jesus can be wrong. And I think that how are you going to know who's wrong if you don't even know what God is saying? So I think that's my hand. No, I, I got really excited when you mentioned, you know, going to the source. How can we even, how can we know what it is to reflect God's image if we don't know him? And how do we know him? Well, it's by studying scripture and learning who he is and his character and yeah we can't we we can't know how to be like god or you know bear his image if we don't know who he is i i think a lot of times the self-help the self-help i can't talk the self-help books there's a lot of good in them and you know the ones who who are writing those books and they're studying scripture and they're sharing, you know, I think we have to remember they're sharing, you know, their opinions and yes, it is great to learn from other people. And if you are reading those books and they are, and you're able to back up what they're saying with biblical truth, it is great. And, you know, you can learn from them and thrive and and grow as a person, but you need to be able to back it up with scripture. And I I just think we need to be careful when we're reading these books, because I think a lot of times we might try to, I don't, I don't know how to say this, but, you know, be like them. Maybe we sort of start to idolize them and their character and who they are. And we try to do the things they do, or we, you know, try to back up all their belief systems. But remember, like, we're not, yeah, we're not made in their image. We're not trying to bear their image. We're trying to bear the image of God. And so I think we just really need to be careful with that. So good word. Andy. Thanks, girl. <laughs> okay, so let's get to recos, man. I think that my reco for today is one that I stole from a really good friend of mine who, if we're being honest, had to be very diligent in making sure that I listened to this. She had sent me this one song that she loved had really spoken to her heart more than once. And I kept saying, I really do want to listen to it. Um, anyone who knows me knows that I'm really flaky about my phone. It's a, it's just a, a truth about my life. And, and I really did want to listen to it, but life just kept distracting me. And, and so the other day she was just literally at my house and she was like, we're playing this right now. And praise God that she did because it has been on repeat in my house, the whole album. It's um, Chris Renzima maybe Renzema, no one I know knows how to pronounce his name. We should probably figure that out. But um, he has just a, a beautiful voice and he sings about God so beautifully. I would specifically recommend Adonai, the song Adonai. It is just this really beautiful song about having the right view of yourself in light of who God is. and just begging God for mercy because you know 
but you need it. And it's just, I, it really speaks to me because I feel like I am, well, first of all, I can't say, I can't believe I just said the word, it really speaks to me. It's not really something I typically would say. Yeah, I'm shocked. <laughs> um, but it just really, I, I try to keep myself in an awareness of who I am. Like, I feel like my natural disposition is to try and convince people that I'm really wonderful and that I'm really responsible and that I am this, you know, perfect Christian and I am not that person. And so I know that's my bent. And so I do try and be really honest in the other direction. Um, but sometimes it's work to keep my heart honest. And so I spent, I try and, and, and spend time remembering who I am and that I am not God and that I am not the savior of human beings and that I am not the savior of the world. <laughs> and the refrain in the song is just, God and I, please have mercy on me. And uh, man, I feel that in my soul. And maybe that doesn't sound pleasant or worshipful to some people, but just this idea of like, um, I myself need this reminder that, like, man, I need God's mercy just as much as anybody else does. Like, I, I am not, I, I, I don't feel better than, but I think sometimes I try to project better than unintentionally, or not maybe not unintentionally, but it's not like a conscious projection. And so, just this idea of like, man, I, that song just humbles me in a really beautiful way. And so, anyways, any of his songs are really great. My friend, the song my friend was trying to show me was that it was a really great song, also. But all of his songs, I have, I've been, I, he's just been on a loop in my house since last Thursday, and I can't stop listening. And he just makes me worship God, and I love anything that makes me worship God deeper. I love that. I love Chris too, but I'm not going to try to say his last name. I feel like I'm, I feel like I should it spell it R E N Z E M A. So just like look him up, y'all. I don't know how to say it. He's great. He's awesome. See, my recommendation, I'm going to share a struggle. uh, A struggle of mine recently is kind of not being content. I I don't necessarily, well, I think it is not being content when you are constantly wanting the things that other people have. And I just have different friends in my life right now who have really amazing things happening. And I've found myself saying to God a lot like I want that like I want these things and a a lot of times I don't even know that it's that I even necessarily want it but I just want it because they have it so I feel like I should too and and I wasn't spending time in my Bible and I know that was getting me down a lot and so my recommendation is if you I mean I know we all struggle with this of just having those moments of not being content with you know the things God has given us. And so I was just like, God, I'm tired of feeling this way. You know, I don't want to be saying to myself, I want something, you know, just because somebody else has it. Because if if you want me to have that, God, you know, I will have it too. So I just started, I asked God, I started like a, a journal. So it's not always prayers. It's just like a combination of like prayers and like I don't want to say gratitude journal because it sounds so cheesy, but just writing down the things that I'm thankful for and uh, specifically writing down things like the things that God has given to me that have been so good for me and, and are so good and they're all blessings. Like, and like I've, I've just said, God, like, I don't want to be saying these things that 
I want. I want to be saying out loud the things that I have that you've given to me. And so I, I would just recommend that if you're struggling with not being content, just take some time to journal and write down the things. You know, don't be saying the things you don't have. Say out loud the things you do have and then thank God for them. It's not cheesy, bro. It's an Ebenezer. This is biblical. Like, God tells Israel, because Israel and us and humans are forgetful people. And it is our hearts, our sinful hearts bent to be discontent. And Israel, over and over again, God puts into these, I think we talked about last week, the idea of, like, these rhythms that God built into ancient Israel's um, lives so that they had these remembrances and and even so like you know they the they passed is god delivered israel through the jordan right mm-hmm. and he made the land or the, the the riverbed dry and and he brought them through and he then told them go out into the middle of where that rushing crazy river was and pull out these giant stones and have your men do this and stack them up and and when your children say, why are these stones here? You will tell them what God has done. Because Israel is a forgetful people and so are we, right? And so it's this idea. I mean, I love it. I love the idea of like, you know, uh, my husband and I are hoping to get a home a home of our own soon that we don't rent. And I love the, I, I've been toying around with different ways of having this like answered prayers wall where it's just right it's the same concept it's this big ebenezer in our home of like look at what god has done because when our hearts are trying to be discontent or trying to be ungrateful to just say man this is what god has done in our lives what are we whining about you know and so um i don't know how i wound up riffing on annie's reco but this has been a deep and vulnerable reco moment for us (laughs) y'all yes i love it i love your little riffs i love your recommendations okay guys thanks for joining us We're just going to ask y'all every week (laughs) to please um, subscribe and comment. If you have something in this episode or the last episode that you have a question about or you want clarification on, just leave it in the comment section and let us know. And then if you guys, if you like us, please share us, share us on your Facebook or on your Instagram, share us with your friends, send this link out. We would just be really grateful for all the help to get this brand new podcast out there. We just want to say thanks for joining us. Yes. Thank you so much. All right. We'll talk to you guys next week.